0: Welcome to Season 5 of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast with Adina, Brian, Chris, and Steve, the biggest sci-fi podcast in the galaxy. The adventure is just beginning here at the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, and we invite you to come aboard the Starship Tangent. We know you'll enjoy the conversation, the laughter, the banner back and forth, and most of all, friends who love hanging out to talk about all things science fiction. Set your phasers to fun. Here we go. Good day, listeners of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast.
1: Today, we have a special guest for you to learn all about. Who is this mystery person? Is she an actor? Is she a producer? Is she a director? Nope. She is better than all that. She's a writer. And the best kind of writer, a book and short story writer. Okay. Give up. I, okay. Okay. She is none other than our own Adina Mignona. You all know her as part of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast team and a true friend of ours. But before we begin, let me thank our great friends at Trek Geeks for helping us to allow you to share these podcasts, or allows us to share these podcasts with our listeners. If you like what you hear, please leave comments, good or bad, we hope not bad, about this or any of our other podcasts. And you can email us at the fi podcast at gmail.com. Leave or post on our Facebook or Instagram pages. And be sure to share these podcasts with your friends, your family members, or any stranger you might meet on the street. Hey, buddy, can you loan me a dime? No, how about some of the big sci-fi podcasts? So let's so today's episode could be entitled Get to Know a Writer. And what a writer she is. She has self-published a four-book collection known as The Robot Galaxy. And she has a new book coming out, Lunar Logic. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Since you're going to get to know Adina, let's introduce the other three members of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast team. They are Brian. Hey, it's Brian from Ohio. Woohoo! And Chris. And it's Chris from Toronto. I love it. And this is me, your humble voice, Steve. So without further ado, let's get into Get to Know a Writer. In ancient times, the stories that were created were handed down from person to person, generation to generation, by the spoken word. Now, if you've ever played telephone once or twice, you know that the story can get changed, filtered by the new speaker of the story and then it might become a new story altogether. At some point, a written language was created to make a history of those spoken stories. Ancient Egyptians used hieroglyphics. Monks used beautiful penmanship to record stories. The Gutenberg Press made it easier to share these stories with a larger population. And that brings us to Adina. She has used the modern technology to record her stories, and we are here to learn about how she goes about doing it, and any other questions we might come up with. Tangents, Captain, as Dr. Flox might say. So at this point, Adina, tell us a little about yourself. What do you want to tell us to open up with?
2: First, I'm gonna say that this is the weirdest thing ever. Being a guest on your own podcast, <laughs> this is a very unusual <laughs> experience. But thank Especially you guys you so much d- for doing this. Yeah,
1: don't ask yourself your own questions. Okay, right.
3: <laughs> okay,
2: okay. Well, <laughs> about myself, I, you know, and that's weird because I feel like you know you guys do do know me. Um, but very simply, I'm by day uh, an engineer. I work in the aerospace industry, and alongside that. You know, way back to high school and college, I always also wanted to write science fiction. And I spent many years trying. I spent many years thinking I could only write short stories. I spent many years figuring out how to complete what I started and then eventually got there. And yeah, started in with the novels, realized I could do novels. And so, as you mentioned, I've got four out. Uh, Lunar Logic, it, you know, comes out this, it's now January. And, um, God, God, there's so much more, (laughs) there's so much more to come. I've got so many, you know, stuff in work and ideas upon ideas, upon ideas, upon ideas.
1: Well, we've, we've interviewed a couple other writers, science fiction writers for Star Trek, and they listed what they do is they have spreadsheets of the characters and situations and who they are and all their idiosyncrasies and so on. So you have continuity. So in your four books of the robot galaxy, how did you maintain the consistency of your character, especially the most important character, Mm -hmm. dear sweet Ruby Um, all the way through the books that, you know, that, you know, she didn't go from being a blonde to a brunette to being four foot tall versus being six foot three (laughs) or something like that.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. So it's, so not a spreadsheet. Uh, and, and in the middle, somewhere in the middle, I switched tools, not that the tool is necessarily important uh, and I I want to say really it's it's not it's very easy to get like caught up in ooh a new shiny tool to keep track of your world building stuff and and there's a lot of those out there
3: mm-hmm. so when
2: I started I was using a simple uh mind map I love mind mapping software but I don't use it as much as I it's one of those tools where I want to use it but I really it doesn't work for me as well as i really want it to but i it started out as a mind mapping software where i had kind of like there's a that kind of software is or the concept of a mind map is you write down your key thought and then you draw lines coming out of it and you write down then sub thoughts and then you might pick one and then expand upon that so each each thing you write is a node and then there are sub nodes so mm-hmm. i started out with like you know here's my robot galaxy and then a sub node was like you know, the robots and their planet. And another one was earth and the status of earth in that time period. Mm -hmm. And then from that, I had human characters. I had human characters, robot characters, and then Mm -hmm. I had details and everything. But as I was getting into maybe book three or something, at some point it was becoming unwieldy. Like, Really, I, I still have an image of it. I could post the image of it. It was just Ooh, unwieldy and there was still it. more to come. Yeah, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, mm-hmm. you won't see any detail. You'll just see how like ridiculous it is.
1: Mm-hmm. So, it's, is it like a flow chart or is this something like that where you go A to B to yeah. C to D and so on and so forth?
2: It is not so much like a no, no, um, because flow charts imply as you're going, there's like a decision to make,
3: mm-hmm. you
2: know, so this is not it's it's more like of a hierarchy of information. Okay. I guess is a better way to think of it. Okay. So it was getting unwieldy and I needed to figure out something to do. And yes, there, there are these like cute software products out there that is specifically for world building. And there's products that are for writers to write, but that also have that embedded like um, Scrivener,
3: mm-hmm.
2: which was something I was using, does have ways to keep track of stuff. But at work, we use some products by a company called Atlassian And these these products are often for teams and they're for software engineers and such. But there was one that I liked a lot called Confluence. And it's kind of like a wiki format. Mm -hmm. And there's a free version. You can do a free version online. So because I'm very experienced in using this tool and it was free, I'm like, well, let me use Confluence. And so I now have the whole robot galaxy stuff in what's like a wiki format, mm. which is a lot easier to manage because I can, I still have that hierarchy, mm-hmm. but it's easier to click around and find things. And I can, mm. I can have like, you know, links to other links in the, you know, in my world building and everything. So I guess that one of the short answers to your question is yes, I keep track of all the details, uh, but not necessarily like I would... I think it'd be hard to find another writer that's using the same tool I'm using for this mm. purpose right now.
0: <laughs> well, let me ask you, you this too, mm-hmm. uh, Adina, because <laughs> you've written four books for the robot galaxy series. You've got lunar logic mm-hmm. coming out here mm-hmm. now in the month of January. Um, and you had a, f- a couple things before robot galaxy series, didn't you?
2: Well, I had starts. Um,
0: okay.
2: yeah, no, I, I didn't have anything. Complete. I had lots of sho- several. Ugh, excuse me. I had several short stories, but I also oh, had okay. nonfiction out there. Yeah, and that, it was I think still that's technically what I'm. Out there. Yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. So years ago, when some of the self-publishing print-on-demand things became a thing, I was like, and and up until then, I had always thought about self-publishing. I really liked the idea of it, but back before all the things that you can do with Amazon and draft to digital and all these other online ways to publish for, for indie authors to publish, you know, the, the old method was you actually would hire a printer, you know, and, and print out like 5,000 copies and you'd be storing them in your house and hopefully Mm -hmm. you can sell them and make back your money. So it was in the like 2004 ish timeframe that these print on demand services were starting to come about And when I found out about that and I realized that I really could with a minimal financial investment, publish a book, it motivated me to take what I had been doing up till that point was to journal my experiences as a small business owner and turn it into a little book. And so that's what I did. And so there's a book out there. It's called Cute Little Store. Um, Although I don't market or publish it or I don't deal with it anymore, but it's still technically out there. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then a couple of years later I did cute little store two, And that was mostly because I closed the business and in doing so, I kind of wanted to close out the story of what happened. And And those books are not so much how to do a business or retail business, but they're more uh, my memoir of it.
3: Mm, but which the
2: idea is that there are tips for other people, who open a store. And one of the the things I used to say is there are a lot of books out there on how to start a business. There, at least at the time, weren't a lot like, well, what happens after you do? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yes, great, you got your thing now up and running, but now you are dealing with the day to day of managing your budgets and employees and your mm-hmm. lease and all these things. <coughs> so it was memoir style, but with some actionable tips. Mm. So a couple years later, I get a phone call from a small um, press, and they're like, we see these books, we'd like to offer you in advance and republish them into one. Now, the oh, store had closed, and I was not dealing with the books anymore, because without the store, I really didn't have a method to market the books, because I'm not a retail store owner anymore. So I really wasn't interested. So if someone wanted to pay me money, and all I have to do is turn over my IP, right. at mm-hmm. that point in time, that made sense. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. So right.
2: I did. And then... From there, the relationship kind of went downhill a little bit because they wanted to change the name of my books to something I did not agree with. So when you see me on Amazon, you will see a book under my name. It's about starting a small, but it's like the it's like the how to Bible of starting a business. And I argued very profusely that this is a terrible name for this book because it is incredibly misleading. My story has some actionable stuff, but it is not a how-to Bible of how to start your business. It is more of a memoir than anything else. Mm -hmm. And, well, because I'd already signed the contract, I kind of lost that battle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the moral of the story is that's one of the reasons why I'm so committed to indie publishing right now. It's because I never really want to be out of control with my IP like that. Right. You know, like people Mm -hmm. might hate what I write or people might not like it. I might put out a book there that flops, but I want it to flop because of my decisions, not because of someone else's decision that I had no decision, Mm -hmm. you know, input into.
1: Well, Brian, you've written your own book. Did you follow that same philosophy as well about, you know, how you got into it?
0: uh for the most part adina mm-hmm. was kind of a very strong um person in my ear um <laughs> and so <laughs> if i may say so uh but yeah no that's kind of how i went is the self publishing um i'm examining other avenues as we speak but so you know and, and i think that's the great thing about being a writer to, in these days you have options
3: in mm-hmm. different
0: routes to go.
3: Mm-hmm. We're not
0: pigeonholed into mm-hmm. one thing. Yep. And it all depends on what you want to accomplish. And so you just have to pick the path and mm-hmm. that will you think will help you get there. And it's like anything in life, right Adina? Mm-hmm. Some things some things work out and have longevity and you know, they're fruitful well. in the in the long run and some things just Hey, it you enjoyed it, and you were creative, and y- you got to try at least. And Plus so when that's, self, that's what I yeah. that's what I love about what Adina's doing is she's she's just going for it, and you know, obviously, four books for the Robot Galaxy series that takes some dedication, mm-hmm. uh, and now with Lunar Logic coming out, so.
2: And it's Plus more the, than you know. One of the things that people don't ever always uh, understand or appreciate about indie publishing is it is way, way, way more than just writing the book. You know, you're <laughs> essentially, you know, you're a business owner, you're a product manager. Mm-hmm. And before I was writing books, I, I've been those things, both through having my own business and at work, my day job as an engineer, more often than not, what I'm doing is project management. So a lot of the skills necessary to do all that, everything that is not the writing part of mm-hmm. this, I kind of came into it with it. So for me, it was, um, it's not been, it's been a lot of work, but I'm not losing my hair over it where I know some other uh, indie folks there. It's, it's, this is like night and day. They have no idea what they got themselves into. Um, I, I feel like I did come into this a little bit more with my eyes open just from mm-hmm. because of the experiences that I had through work. But that's not to say that you need those experiences to do that. Mm-hmm. And none of this is to say that this is the right path for anybody, everybody. Because it's not. You know, it's not. Um, but,
1: yeah. Well, the one thing nice so, about self-publishing is the only person going to write a rejection letter is yourself. Because true. you are responsible for the content. You you write a short mm-hmm. story, I think you even mentioned, in from this past year where there were... You got some rejection letters, and you were feeling yep. like, "What the hell are they talking about? This is a good story. Mm-hmm. Why didn't? Why did they reject mm-hmm. it? Do they hate me? What's wrong with my hair color? Yep. Stop yep. complaining!" <laughs> yep. But well, and- but but writing the book yourself and self-publishing, you know the content. You have decide this is the right story. You've edited. You've you've processed it, and. You're, you feel responsible for what you but put you, out there.
2: And, but you still, even though you might not be getting rejection letters from a publisher in that standpoint, there is then reader feedback, which, yeah. and when I first put out, when the first book of the Robot Galaxy series, when C- Crazy Foolish Robots came out, while the beta reader feedback I got was positive, still putting that out there into the universe, my, my big question was, is there an audience for what I have to write or not? It's mm-hmm. great that a handful of people gave me mm-hmm. some good feedback and, and seemed to enjoy it. But is there really, you know, going to be broader? Do I have an audience out there? And that was almost like, I want to say my, my test book is just to see, you know, are mm-hmm. there people that, is this what they want to read? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of terminology um, out there, especially for indie authors about like, you know, writing to market, meaning you actually analyze what's been selling and you try to write something like that. And I chose the the path of no, I want to write the book that I would buy and read. Mm-hmm. Now, the question is is, am I so unique that there aren't enough people who would want to buy and read it <laughs> or or not, you know, or not? And I think what i what I found out after you know, when I published book one is that, yes. It might not be like I might not be selling like, you know, billions or copies or millions of copies, but there's right. enough of an audience out there that enjoys what I write, that it is worth continuing. And, and I'm, you know, I'm having a great time. I'm glad that there are other people, you know, basically like-minded people who, who enjoy this kind of science fiction too. In fact, actually the funniest thing is when the book first came out, um, because I, I was, uh, a little, you know, I didn't have all the confidence and how is this going to go? Um, mm-hmm. What I didn't, even though I, at that time, knew it was going to be book one of a four-book series. Mm-hmm. The original cover, when I originally commissioned the cover, I just commissioned a single cover. And I didn't have it. It didn't write, you know, it didn't say book one of the Roebuck Galaxy series on it. It does now. Um,
3: mm-hmm. But at the time, oh, it didn't. Okay.
2: And even though I thought the end of the book kind of implied that, yes, there's going to be more... It was never, nowhere was it explicit. I hadn't even come up with the name, the robot galaxy series yet. I had no name for the series. I just had this one standalone book, but I knew that there were more. And that was the biggest criticism that I got was that it seemed like this is just a single book. And where's, is there more, where's going to be more? Yeah. And so like the next day I went back to the cover people, I commissioned the rest of the three covers at once to make sure that they all had a similar look and feel. Then I had mm-hmm. the original cover redone to have book one on it and started to make it, you know, even updated the interior. So the interior now says, mm. you know, this is part of the series and stuff. Mm-hmm. But that was the biggest piece of, of negative feedback I got at the very, <laughs> very beginning.
1: Well, as so... a... Go ahead, Cri- uh, oh, Brian. I'm, I'm ahead, sorry, Brian.
0: Chris, do you want to go? You want to go, Chris?
4: Yeah, I was... Well, so... To pivot back to an earlier to the earlier conversations, I was going to save this for later, but it seems to fit well with the self publishing. What is one piece of advice that you would give people? Like maybe not necessarily new authors, but maybe someone mm-hmm. who's on the fence. They have an idea, like myself, where it's like you have an idea, but you're not sure. You know, is it worth even putting all that time? Because what you're saying is like it's not only do you have to write the book, but you have to figure out how to publish it, market it. Um, what piece of advice would you give to someone who is in that position?
2: Okay, so if the position is you have an idea, my right. my advice is just write. Okay, an idea gets you nowhere. Uh, ideas are great, right. but it actually gets you nowhere, and it's premature to actually think of do I traditionally publish or indie publish. You have yeah. to write the material first, write at least the first draft, and see which you know what you've got there. But you have to write. Thinking about anything else but writing that original draft is procrastinating from writing that original draft.
0: <laughs> right, makes sense. Yeah, that's good. In in so Adina, for you, let's say that Adina has an idea. Mm-hmm. How did either Robot Galaxy or Lunar Logic start? Is it start with an outline? Like you, you have a basic idea and you say. Ooh, I think I can build on this. Do you just start, do you write the first chapter and kind of get creative from there? How do you, do you lay it all out ahead of time? How do you, how does a story start and then evolve in your yeah, world? Yeah, those are, those are good questions.
1: I, I, I remember the term we learned when we had the other authors was, I think you said a pantsy or a plantsy. Mm. A pan,
2: well, so pantser versus plotter. Pan,
1: thank you. And then the right. mushing yes. of those
2: are a plantser. And so to answer your question, I'm actually going to go go back because what I did, like say 10 years ago, is different from what I do today. And what I do today is the result of all those experiences and essentially like practicing the craft to getting to this point. There was a time that I didn't think I could write a novel. I didn't think I could really maintain a story for mm. a novel length. So what got me over that hurdle was NaNoWriMo. And that's the National Novel Writing Month that happens every November. It is a challenge against yourself to write a 50,000 word novel in a month. And the idea is that is actually that is a fairly challenging amount because and what you need to do is like put aside the editing brain and everything and really just 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 write. So my first NaNoWriMo was in 2009. It was probably one of the worst things I've ever written in my life. And no one will ever see that. It's just going to stay buried on my hard drive. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the things it taught me is that I I can sustain something over 50,000 words. Mm -hmm. But I was a pantser, which is basically you're writing by the seat of your pants is what a pantser is. And I realized one of the reasons why it was a terrible, awful piece of crud is I was (laughs) pantsing it and I Mm -hmm. needed being a full on plotter which is basically outlines upon outlines and doing a lot of that that that's too, that was too much for me so over time i realized there's a minimalist approach to that works for me and again what works for me doesn't work for everyone else and there are amazingly successful writers that are pantsers amazingly successful writers that are plotters and all forms in between and so the, the message is if if you're interested in writing Right, and you'll figure out what works for you. So, what winds up working for me is, and and I started really learning the, this as I was doing what became the Robot Galaxy series. Is I need to go in with a minimal outline, which is just a scene list, and I need about thirty scenes. And if I and that and in those thirty scenes, I have to have all kind of like the major things that happen. And for me, the most important of which is how does it end? Then once I have that, then I can just start writing and scenes will fall away. New scenes will get added. It will change as it goes. But I need those kind of like, like signposts or waypoints for myself along the way.
3: Mm-hmm. And then
2: that's where I, where I get something. So when I started writing the Robot Galaxy series, um, that started out as a NaNoWriMo project in 2012 And just so you know, like how long it took from that to when I first published Crazy Foolish Robots, the first book in 2021, so almost a decade. Mm -hmm. When it first started out, it was a, the book I called it was How to Be a Rocket Scientist. It was meant to be kind of silly. And it was meant, that was meant to be silly. And the main character wasn't Ruby. It was a 17 year old boy named Ethan. (laughs) And he had a friend who he was interested in named Stella. And when I eventually came back and wanted to develop this story more, I realized that Ethan was a terrible, terrible, terrible character. He was awful. He was awful. Like, all, he was just kind of like a very stereotypical, I'm interested in a girl, blah, blah, blah. It was it was awful. <laughs> but Stella was interesting because she actually, like, was interesting and smart and could do things. Mm-hmm. So I dropped Ethan. But then I realized I didn't like the name Stella. So Stella became Ruby. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, long story short, here we, here we are. But it was in, in that whole process it, and as I, you know, and then when I realized that this was going to be four book series, not just one book, mm-hmm. it was hard to really finish that first one because it, I was coming out of that pantser, planter and trying to get into what I needed. But then as I redid the rest of the books um, I was able to start with that whole 30 scenes. And so now any new book I start, yep, I have that 30 scenes. So that's how I started Lunar Logic. And Lunar Logic was also a NaNoWriMo in 2020.
1: Okay. Wow.
2: And the big difference between Lunar Logic, between what I wrote in 2020 and what um, happened now, is I originally wrote it, it was much darker and it used adult language and it was much more violent. and. Mm Because the tone of the robot galaxy series is light and meant to be light and humorous uh, and there's mm-hmm. no bad words in it. So it mm-hmm. is safe for kids. It's written for adults, but it's safe for kids. I And that's working for me. So I decided I was going to turn Lunar Logic into that. That was really hard. Mm. And if you read Lunar Logic and you're like, this might be getting a little dark, that's possibly some remnants of uh, where it was. But I, I don't I don't think it, it, it is. I think I did. Uh, I, I think I was successful in changing the tone there. But I, I really, you know, while my short stories will have language and often have things that are not safe for kids. I think right now, at least my novels are generally I want them to be safe for kids.
1: And I Even think that's a good idea. No, but that's, what I think is a great idea because yeah. I've read all four books of the loot of the robot galaxy. And I like that. I like the fact that you've kept it there. Yes, there is peril and there is concern for the main right. character and other characters in the story. But it's something that could anyone could read and enjoy an adult because if an adult says oh well if there isn't a four letter word it's not as you know interesting story because the mm-hmm. characters aren't gruff or rough or whatever but you have you have created a very nice person and ruby is a sweetheart and from the very first reading of the first book i liked this girl i wanted her to succeed i wanted to follow her adventure and you gave me three more books Of where that adventure and the adventure still hasn't ended,
0: even with the end of
1: book number four. The adventure (laughs) has not ended. And I think that's great because Ruby should live on Mm -hmm. if she can.
2: Yep. Well, so I'm, I'm, that's what I'm actually actively working on right now is so we've got these, these four books that are a series, and I'm working on what happens after that series ends. But instead of another series, I am writing four more books. But I'm calling it a set to imply that they can be read in any order. They're not serial. They're actually all happening at the same time. Mm. So it's like, what happens, you know, what is Ruby doing next? What is mm-hmm. Swell Driver and Detailed Historian doing next? You know, it's, it's that kind of a thing. Because they're, they're not doing the same thing next is, I guess, the only thing I'll say. So what I'm doing right now is I'm drafting all four of those. Mm. Uh, and once I have the first draft of all those written, then I'll go back and figure out which one I want to release first? Um, finishing them up, all those things. But the first thing I did for all four of them is come up with my thirty, my list of thirty scenes for
1: each. Okay, that's good. So, did, go ahead, Chris.
4: I was going to say, once you have your thirty, you once you have your thirty scenes, how how fast are you? Because I mean, just the idea that took you that like you you've been working on the first one for a long time, but then by twenty twenty one, you've like you're already on book five now.
3: Yeah. So you yeah.
4: It seems like you must have written like three books in what a couple of years?
2: Yeah, something it like that. It just seems like
4: that's that's insanely fast to me.
2: Well, and see now that I kind of have a process, and, and I think I've I've told you guys, I know I post about this all the time on LinkedIn is how I write from five to six every morning. And actually lately it's become five to six fifteen. So
3: and <laughs> and
2: because I know I, I, when I sit down at five in the morning, so I, I wake up, my coffee is ready. Cause I'm, you know, this is one of my like must haves was my automatic coffee maker Mm -hmm. that, you know, so the coffee is ready. I get out of bed, I grab my coffee, I sit down at my computer. I'm not making any decisions at that point. Like I already the night before or the session before I know where I'm writing, you know, like tomorrow morning, I know where I'm picking up from. So I, it's now, it's a such a habit. And that's kind of one of the things I think that for most people to get mm-hmm. into is to really make it such a habit, you know that it then just happens. So in an hour hour and 15 minutes, on a we'll call it a slow day, I can, you know, I'll give somewhere you know, six, seven, eight hundred words. But on a, a normal day, I will get 12 to 1500, words in that time. And like, wow. so like this morning, I actually specifically cut myself off early because I wanted to use some of that time to work on one of my flash fiction stories from my upcoming email newsletter. So I, so <laughs> I, so I only got 800 words this morning, but again, I deliberately cut myself short because I right. wanted to use that extra time. And
0: you said that, Adina, and it really hit something in me as a musician, but also as a writer is that having some sort of pattern or habitual time where you set that aside to be for that creative outlet to do Mm -hmm. that writing to do that producing or editing or whatever it is uh when you have days when you just feel blah and even though it's good to sit it's good to force yourself to sit down at the computer to go Mm -hmm. through the motions and even if nothing comes you've kept the pattern going Mm -hmm. But to know yep. that tomorrow or if it's every other day or once a week, whatever the pattern is, you're going to have a set apart time to come back to that, yep. to go for it again, yep. is really yep. important. So it's not this nebulous, I might get back to it mm-hmm. when I get back to it. It's, uh, and that's good for writing. I mean, sometimes you need to step away because mm-hmm. you're out of juice or it's not coming out the way you think you thought it would. And you take a step away and come back to it the next day and go, all right, I think I got my mind wrapped around this. Part. Right.
2: And, you know, and, and the thing is, a lot of that, you know, building those habits, which are is great for, yeah, all kinds of creative stuff, you know, it, one, just be like, I might have a writing session today. Maybe I'm not feeling it. And maybe what I wrote is crud, but it's better to still have gotten up and tried out the crud yep. than to not have done anything at all.
3: It's like and working out. Is,
2: yeah ex- mm. exactly yeah, and this is also true. not to say that like everything is is perfect because you guys know i'm a mom i have young kids sometimes stuff happens and i might get like the worst night's sleep in which case no if i get a terrible night's sleep you but so what i do for those Look out, times world <laughs> yeah well what i do for those times though is that's when i might do something else in support of my whole just overall business, maybe uh, you know other mechanical things that don't necessarily need that part of the creative brain that I might do, which are those are things I usually do in the evenings. And again, this is the whole what works for me doesn't work for anyone else. I am absolutely a morning writer. When I wake up, assuming I got Mm. a normal night's sleep, when I wake up at five, I'm awake. My brain is up, uh, I'm awake. Other people, mm, other people are evening people. I am not an evening person. And this is one of the things that you know, especially in doing those memoirs about my business is what I, re- that's when I really learned that I really am a morning and, and whether it's like I turned into a morning person in my early thirties or maybe I always was and was fighting it, I don't know. But when I realized I was a morning person and cause all through my twenties, I would, and this is before I had kids. So after my day job, I would come home and in theory, I'd have four or five hours before I go to bed in right. theory. It's like, that's, that's so much writing time. So I would sit there and I couldn't write. And it really, at some point hit me that one, I'm a morning person. And two, because my, my day job is so intellectually taxing, my brain is done in the evening, completely, utterly done. Mm. And mm. I wish I had learned this. Like I could have been a decade ahead of where I am in terms of how much books and everything if I had realized this like in my 20s. But <laughs> again, and that's part of the whole process is figuring out, what works for you, and then building your habit around that. Don't don't force something that really is not, you know, going to be your thing. So that's why I don't tell everyone, oh, you have to get up and write in the morning every morning. No, you don't. You have to figure out what habit works for you if you want to get stuff done, but...
0: Yeah, And the same thing goes to, like I would mentioned, working out. There's some people that love working out in the morning. It's mm-hmm. the best time. They get hyped yep. for it. Some people have mm-hmm. to do it midday. They fit it in during their lunch break. Some yep. people it's in the evening after work. It helps them feel revived after work, you know um gets the and blood flowing and out stuff. no matter
3: what exactly <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm
0: still working on my time with that i'm not sure what mm-hmm. works best for me um but resolutions
1: a... kids <laughs> i'm a morning
0: guy morning for workouts even though i hate it sometimes
4: like the idea of having to stop off at the gym when i'm coming home sounds awful and yeah. like just let me get home
3: yeah um
4: but yeah that totally makes sense i find it mornings are tough but i find if you like on days when i can get up early I can get a lot done. I also feel like, Adina, does it, when you get up at, say, at five in the morning, are you, like, mostly alone? Like, are other people up? Like, are you able to, like, work uninterrupted at that time? Yeah, and this
2: is one of the reasons why it is, it it did work out to be that time because no one else is up. Everyone's sleeping. Now, there was a point in time um, where, so my youngest, who's now five, knock on wood, we are finally in a stable sleeping habit. There was a long time through his toddler years, that he was not, and it did make things a lot harder, because, you know, I didn't know if he was going to interrupt me in the middle of my, you know, morning time or not, I didn't know if I was going to get a good night's sleep, because if he was, like, screaming in the middle of night, I didn't know, but we're, knock on wood, you know, he's almost five and a half, and we've, for a while, been in a very good place with this.
1: (laughs) Good, good.
2: But, you know, but that's also, mm-hmm. you know, the thing is, you know, with my husband and everything, he, ex- you know, the idea, too, is he's there to be the buffer, too. Like, if, you know, my youngest gets up. And luckily, the youngest, when he gets up, he doesn't want me. He wants daddy so <laughs> It works well, out.
1: That's okay. Then that works out really well. Um, you know, there's a, a old joke that goes, you know, um, when someone tries, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do stand-up comedy or I'm going to become a painter or I'm going to become a writer. And the old, oh, the old philosophy is, yeah, but don't give up your day job. Is there a thought in your mind that there's a point in the future where if you got this writing gig going, could you give up your day job and become a full-time writer for the rest of your life?
2: So that's a really good question. And that's a, that's a hard one to answer. Um, well, there's always, you know.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in our podcast, Adina is speechless. No, I'm, I'm just not. Kidding. St- she dropped in. Little, she, she dropped in. here, She dropped in here, bud.
2: But this is a, a very hard question, especially. It is. Well, okay, so th- there's always a point um, where I could win the lottery, and yeah. and then and then yeah, it really, at some point it doesn't make sense. But that's uh, that's of course not going to happen. But um, the thing is, there's a few things. One is I like my day, you know, okay. No, my day job frustrates me sometimes, but Mm -hmm. on the whole of it, you know, I work at a space company doing space things, helping, you know, us deliver cargo to the international space station, helping to, you know, we work on, um, Halo, which is going to be part of NASA's lunar gateway. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully some other interesting things. So, there's a part of me that doesn't want to give that up for a few reasons. Um, one, uh, you know, healthcare and, and all that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it does, it is, a a fairly secure lifestyle, which writing wouldn't necessarily be. Mm-hmm. Um, but also part of my shtick is that I'm a working, I'm working in aerospace, you know, so I'm writing science fiction, but I'm also kind of like living the dream too.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, even though, again, there are plenty of days where it's stressful, and I'm like, "Why do I? Why am I doing this? I would rather be writing books," uh, you know. So, so on one hand, you know, no, I mean, there there is definitely a point where, again, if I were to come into some amount of money, that would make it make sense, but that's that's unlikely. But now, here's the other thing: is I'm about to be fifty. In theory, I'm quote unquote only around fifteen-ish years away from retirement. Mm-hmm. So. As I get close to 60, do right. I retire a little early? You know, like it's it's so it's a different question asking me this now versus asking me 10 years ago where I was 25 years away from retirement. Now that I'm 15 right. years away and I think I can join like AARP next year, it that <laughs> changes the equation a little bit.
3: Mm-hmm. But I'm also
2: at my peak earning years and I want to keep that up for Social Security. Like so there's the equation isn't as simple as. Oh, I should. I'm just going to quit and become a full time writer, which a lot of people um, um, do, you know, or try
1: to mm-hmm. or try to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: but it, it is. So well, that's you know, th- Go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. No,
0: you go. Ahead, you go. No, ahead. I was going to say sure. it is
1: something to consider. I mean, I worked until I was 65, and then at that mm-hmm. point, things were in line the house is going to get paid off. I'm going to be able to get social security in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. I can apply for Medicare. Like, you know, th- there were a lot of things that said it is okay to do that. Right. If those things were not in place, the answer is no. I would have continued working. So, you ha- you know, what you said is quite logical. You're you, you, truly, I always like to say, you're only halfway through your life. You've got another 50 years, you know. We mm-hmm. all want to live to 100. I, I just recently met a World War II vet. He was a hundred and four. He's gonna be a hundred and five wow. in February. Oh. He was as sharp as a tack, could remember everything. So I think we all have the capacity to live, you know, to a hundred. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, you still have plenty of time to right. devote and of- a become a full-time writer if you want mm-hmm. to.
2: And plenty. Well, and but the thing is also the the financial aspect of that, you have to make sure you can. You know, exist for that. Yeah, there was several decades of without the the. You know that kind of a day job for Mm -hmm. those who have those kinds of jobs. So Mm -hmm. yeah, so you know, on one hand, what I love to spend my days just writing books. Yes, but on the other hand, I really do like when I'm actually working on certain projects at work. I really do like that, and I'm hoping over the course of this year, I will get involved in one of uh, two projects. I can't talk about them yet.
3: But no, of there's course. two
2: different potential upcoming projects. Cool. and I would like to be involved in a significant role. And if that they happen, then that will keep me for sure, you know, nothing's for sure, but that my intent would be to stay on those projects till they finish, which would take me to like twenty thirty or so. So
1: plus there yeah. must be a true satisfaction that when you see a launch, of a rocket containing something that you were involved with. Mm-hmm. It must give you a tremendous feeling of pride. I mean, my my brother-in-law, Steve, he works for Rocketdyne, and he is in maintenance. I mean, maintenance, I mean, in keeping the place clean and everything. But he says whenever there is a rocket launch, they all pause at the facility to admire what they've done. And you are able to do that because mm-hmm. you are part of that. Yeah. You're part of the team that has created this device that is going into space. That's amazing.
2: Yeah, although I have, it's been a while since I've really worked on something. You know, I've been in a weird situation for a while. So it's been a a while since I've had that kind of direct feeling for something that I really was that involved in, which is why I'm anxious to be part of one of these two upcoming projects, because I really do want to do that again. But there was that a while, for great. several years, I was um, the, we call it the product owner of our command and control software. So it was really cool. So for a pile of our launches, I got to be in the control center through launch to basically make sure our software and nothing went haywire or mm-hmm. the folks knew how to use it and, and everything like that. And that was that was really cool because cool I got to, you know, see like a, we have several different kinds of satellites that we deal with. You know, we have Cygnus that goes to the International Space Station. We have communication satellites. We have science satellites. And so being able to like kind of like sort of tangentially be involved in all of them. I, I kind of liked.
0: <laughs> yeah. So speaking of launches, mm-hmm. you're launching Lunar Logic yes. this month. Yes. So first of all, for our <coughs> listeners, Adina has a beautiful poster uh, of the artwork from her cover hanging on the wall behind her. And uh, it looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Lunar Logic and how did you get the name Lunar Logic is what I'm interested in, because I think that's a fascinating title. And then a little bit about the book, of course, without going into too yeah, much no detail. Yeah, we don't want to, to read the last page, which is what I terribly do. <laughs> well,
3: you will do you know, <laughs> <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> You know, Uh, I'll tell you the truth, Adina. I forced myself not to read the end of book four because you said there's something really (laughs) great at the end. And I'm like, (laughs) no, don't do it. Don't do it. And I didn't. So, yes. (laughs) But go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: So what I was talking about at the end of book four is there's a little interview. Mm -hmm. Did, Did you... That that yeah, I loved it. I
1: loved it. Yeah. I loved the interview. Yes. So
2: cool. Well, so Lunar Logic. Is a f- funny thing about the name is, and again, that's that was not the original name. When I was writing this as a nano in 2020, and it was again a darker feeling book. It was called With the Moon as My Witness, but Ooh, it still had the same cool the too. main characters. Thank you. Um, but it didn't fit because when I when I tried to lighten it up, that title was still too just didn't fit. It just didn't work. Um, but it was still. My main character is Aiden, who's a robot, a sentient robot android, uh, and there are several sentient robot androids and AIs, and they all live on the moon, about a hundred years from now. And the thing is, is they don't fully know everything about their existence. They really don't know why they're there. They're they're taking care of equipment on the moon. They're they're performing maintenance tasks on stuff that's there. They don't know anything about humans. In theory, they've oh, never seen or, or, or know anything about humans. They just interact with each other. And, and they don't know why or how they got there. And they start questioning. Uh, you know, it's, it's natural to have these questions. And then they find, I'm going to say, like, little clues have been accidentally left that start to, you know, get them to be like, wait, where did this come from? this wasn't here before, you know, that kind of a thing that leads them down this journey of, of discovery. And so the title, honestly, it was when I knew I needed a new title, it was just a lot of brainstorming. And then a lot of, um, there's this one group of writers I'm with. And so sometimes I'll like, Hey, I have these ideas. What do people think? And so there's been, you know, it was some back and forth and it just lunar logic came out of the, mm. that mass of stuff. Um, And, uh, the funny thing is, well, not funny thing, but the book came out of, there was a audio book I was listening to that year, uh, called, it was one of the great courses. So there's that series of audio books, the great courses that are Mm -hmm. like these lectures. And there was one called sci-fi, P-H-I. It was thinking about science fiction in terms of philosophy and as his professor, um, David Johns David Kyle Johnson I think that's the name and he was reviewing a lot of science fiction from the lens of he's a philosophy professor and I love that actually I think that's some of the stuff I love just about like science fiction to begin with and so that's what I had in my head was kind of exploring a lot of just philosophical questions from the point of view of sentient androids who you know Don't know how they were made. Do they have free will? You know all Mm -hmm. these kinds of kinds of things. And of course, doing it in like a a light version. Uh, One of the things I do want to say about the cover: I want to. When I I use the same company to make my cover as I did for the Robot Galaxy series, but the android, the robot android figure, that's in a yoga pose on the front, and then in a different yoga pose on the back of the book. um, eh? Cool so I commissioned this art from my friend's daughter, who's an artist.
1: Very <laughs> she's, nice. a, cool.
2: she's a high school senior right now. And I had seen her mom, uh, who's a friend of mine post like a bunch of her art online. I'm like, you know, I really like that. I would really like something like for my book. Um, so yeah. So I hired my friend's daughter. Very <laughs> to good. Do that.
1: Well, you're also helping to promote her and her artwork. I mean, as that's well, be cool does, for yeah.
4: her to be on a real, like on a, an actual book. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's I like to think so. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: I Definitely. like to think so. Yeah.
1: Did but, I answer uh, all the yeah.
2: questions? There was a bunch of questions. Well, there, that, did I well, answer there's them a, all? One
1: interesting thing is what I loved about the robot galaxy was one of the adventures of the various different robots that we get to know and love from those books is trying to even find their own origin. hmm did, is that, was some of the inspiration for this as well? Because again, they're trying to find their origin or, or what their purpose are and so on?
2: Um, not, not directly. Mm-hmm. So the, the, in the robot galaxy, it was more, so when I originally had this other, you know, it was a different book with a different character, Ethan and everything. Uh, just like I really didn't like Ethan. Originally the robots were coming to earth to do something bad you know, okay. take over whatever. And again, when I went back and looked, I'm like, this is, that's terrible. Cause of course everyone expects that when they hear, you know, aliens and robots, that that is what they expect is that mm-hmm. they're going to take over earth. And I was like, that's, that's terrible. I need to do something different.
3: So mm-hmm.
2: I, I don't remember. I can't tell you the moment I had this different idea, but it was like, well, wait a second. Well, what, what could they possibly doing? What would bring them here? If it's not to take over. well, maybe they're looking for something and that's mm-hmm. just kind of where that spiraled out. Now the yeah. fact that it turned into kind of an origin story for them and that lunar logic is a little bit, or that I, I think that's a little more of a coincidence okay. or maybe I just like origin stories. No,
1: they're good stories because they, they allow you to follow the path of the characters mm-hmm. to get to the final conclusion of wh- what's there. And that we, and that is, you know, the human condition. We all ask mm-hmm. the same question why are we here? What's our purpose? Mm-hmm. What's the end result? You know, yep. how do we yep. make ourselves better or uh, people around us, better people? So yeah, I mean, it's, you just made them androids or robots yep. in this case, yep. you know, in, in the robot galaxy. But, uh, yeah,
2: and one of the things about with lunar logic is I did while of course, you know, I really don't believe that we're going to have these kinds of sentient androids in a hundred years. Okay. But other than that, taking that liberty and so, you know, and making that happen. I did my best to try to make everything about the moon and the technology and things as kind of realistically, you know, envisioned as possible. You know people okay. talk about like there's hard science fiction. i I actually hate that term.
3: <laughs> so, mm. but
2: I try to make as much as realistically possible hard science fiction
3: mm-hmm. and then this mm-hmm.
2: layer of, you know, ridiculousness. Like even in the robot galaxy series, when we look at what's happening with Ruby and here in our solar system, humans do not have faster than light travel, Mm -mm, you know, mm -mm. and I try to make things realistic about traveling around the solar system and all that stuff. But then I took liberties with, of course, these sentient alien feeling robots that happen to have FTL and we don't question why, you know, like, but so everything that I can make quote, unquote, hard science fiction, I do. And then, and then add in the fluff. Uh, add in the, that's not fluff. It's add in the,
1: <laughs> that other like element. The, the fantasy. The the, 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 the the Yeah. 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 And again, and I'm, I'm, I always appreciate the fact that you didn't, I mean, there were so many times in the four books where you would have been forced to explain how they have the ability to travel. What was it? 57 light years or 54 yep. light years from their home planet or from location zero to mm-hmm. earth and back and forth. That's fine. We don't need to know. We yeah. really don't because we just accept the fact that it happens.
2: Yeah. They just, have, they just have FTL. We don't worry about it. You know, they just have mm-hmm. it similar, you know, Star Wars. Star Wars, they have hyperdrive. Mm-hmm. Okay. They just, they just yeah. have it. And, you know, I very much believe uh, in the consistent self consistency mm-hmm. in whatever universe you create. That is the most
1: important thing. Right. Exactly. Exactly, because even there's a funny series we all love where there's this thing called Warp Drive. And, you know, like <laughs> there's still, everybody says it's possible, but so far the level of energy required to do it is impossible. So it's still fun just to be able to enjoy it and just know they're doing right. it. They're getting from right. here to there so you can get the story done. They have transporters.
3: it's going
0: to happen. Yeah,
3: yeah, They just exactly. have transporters,
1: yeah.
0: yes. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, which is one of the most terrifying concepts in science fiction. Well,
3: let's
4: not, let's not
0: molecules. Get in there. <laughs> so, all right, I don't want to cause me. Chris. Help me! Help
3: me! I, I don't want to slow
0: down Chris's <laughs> sleep cycle. Uh, thinking about the effects of possible effects of transporters. Uh, don't Adina, worry, that one me ben, out. <laughs> okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> I figured if you were such a big Trek fan, it wouldn't. That would not be something you would let keep you awake at night. So, Adina. As you are creating your your world building, okay, as you're mm-hmm. building the worlds, the characters, the ships, the, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I remember reading your first book and going, in my mind, you're describing everything, but I'm still forming my own. What does that actually look like mm-hmm. in my head, you know? Yeah. So I have a very kind of clean look to your robots and everything and um very sleek um a little clunky too in a way um but as you're building worlds how much attention do you pay to detail in your descriptions uh and how much how important is it to also leave that up to some imagination for the readers
2: yeah those are those are really good questions and because they're very hard to answer because partly there's, there's no, well, I mean, there's how I do it, but then there's no necessarily right answer. And, yeah. Oh,
0: sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Cause
2: you'll, you'll see. I'm
0: interested in how you yeah. do it because okay. we're talking well, to you.
2: Yeah. So I don't even know if I have a, sing- <laughs> I don't even know if I have a single <laughs> answer.
0: Um,
2: you know, when we, when we talked to, to, I I think it was when we talked to John Scalzi or maybe I've seen him in enough interviews that this is just something I saw, but mm-hmm. I know. He's known for being fairly dialogue heavy, as was Asimov. And mm. and I feel like that's a lot of times where I start too is I start off very, very, very dialogue heavy. Uh and and then as I'm rewriting or revising, that's when I'm adding in details. And actually my my editor, um, Carolani, she is amazing because she, you know, would tell me where I really needed it um, in, in places. So Yeah, I I would say so for the robots, I had sort of a a clear ish picture built around Swell Driver. And I would say Swell Driver is probably the only thing from the very original NaNoWriMo that really stayed pretty much intact. The first two scenes with Swell Driver in Crazy Foolish Robots, I think are pretty much I mean, they were edited but pretty much Mm -hmm. what I wrote in my original, original, original draft. Okay. Okay. So I I needed to use that kind of like as a model to build out from. And it was, and so in, in book one, you know, we only meet a few robots, so it wasn't terribly, you know, difficult. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're all very similar-ish. But then when we got to book two and, you know, Ruby is staying on the robot planet. It, you know, when I was thinking about that, it was like, well, man, there's got to be other kinds of robots here because a planet of just this, that, that eh, one, that's going to be a little boring, right? And and two,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's like, let's say, and I think I kind of use this analogy in the book when Ruby gets surprised at meeting very different robots. So let's say aliens come to Earth and they go to like Finland or, you know, one of those countries where um, the population is pretty homogenous. They're all very similar. And let's say they spend months there. That's their picture of humanity. And then all of a sudden, right. someone visits from India, from China, from Africa, and they're like, what? There's different humans. So it was kind of that moment I wanted to have for, you know, and and it's partly is to kind of almost poke fun a little bit about how even in Star Trek, we see that, like when Mm -hmm. we see the Vulcans, they all kind of look like the same. I mean, like now they're getting better. Now these days they're getting better. There's getting, there's a little bit more diversity, but typically when we meet our alien species, they're not diverse. So I was trying to just poke fun a little bit of that. So I decided to introduce other types of robots, but I can't, Again, just do just anything now because I've kind of established the way the world works, and
3: right, you right. Know, I
2: can't have a fifty-foot robot because I'm, you know, I've kind of pretty much explained that the corridors are, that they're living in all the time are fairly normal height from our perspective, you know. So I, I still have established some rules that I need to live within. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it really yeah. was all like Swell Driver was the, you know, the one that this was kind of built around, and I think my my terms for him where he's a colorful snowman. And that's mm-hmm. accurate.
4: <laughs> so when you come up with these rules, do you have like, a uh, what was the name of the document? Confluence?
2: So Confluence, the tool. And so, yeah. So think of it as a set of wiki pages. Yeah. So I have these, these okay. wiki pages now. Yeah.
4: So you but saw basically, time... like, so do you add every time you come up with a new rule, like, well, they can't be this tall. Do you oh, well, like note it down so you can refer to that
2: so in future am... stories? Yes and no. I'm not always good <laughs> at doing it while I'm writing the draft. So sometimes it's more like when I'm revising later, I'm I'm going back to my world building and adding the notes later. um, Just because, again, the whole idea is when you're writing your draft, you should just be focused on writing. Don't stop. And so that's good for the writing point of view. But then I might, like, if I hit my, like, 6.15 and my kids are up, I got to stop. And then coming back to then update my world building notes – not sure when that's going to happen. You know, like that kind of a thing. Right. So, but, so a lot of times I would do it. And those are the kinds of things that I will do in my off writing hours. Like in the evening, I can just go through and be like, okay, let me just find the details, find the details, copy, paste. In between books, I was making sure to do that, knowing that it was going to continue, knowing that okay. I was going to need it. In Lunar Logic, this is intended to be a standalone. So while I do have a set of wiki pages in Confluence for Lunar Logic... Because I'm not planning on writing a second book, I might. If okay, let me say it this way: If I do wind up writing a second book, and that's in that, I'm gonna need to go and update that and make sure all the important details are in there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah.
4: Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That's cool.
0: Because I love that stuff.
4: Yeah.
1: Go ahead, Brian. You got a question?
0: Oh yeah, I was just. Who do you see reading this book?
2: me
0: what Me <laughs> too.
2: besides the
0: three of us yeah. other than you adina who like like do you do that when you write do you say oh man i hope this group of people or this age group or this demographic might really like i'm really this is who this might really jump in here and like this or do you just do you just write and and hope that the right people who are supposed to like it like it
2: yeah so so sort of um when I first wrote lunar logic, i and it was done. I with that Nanorimo, I wasn't sh- I actually wasn't really happy with it at all. I didn't think it had any traction. I didn't think it had any legs. I didn't know. But um a friend of mine kind of insisted that he read it. He's like, "I just really want to read what you wrote this Nanorimo." And I was like, okay, David, but this is terrible. You know." So he read it. And a couple weeks later, he's like, "Um, And I I put this in actually at the end of the book and there's like an acknowledgement section. I actually wrote this story uh, because this book wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for him telling me. He's like, hey, I think you have something here. You might not Hmm. see it right now, but you know, put it away for a week or two and then come back to it.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: If it wasn't for that, I might not have come back to it.
0: Mm, okay. Interesting.
2: And the sad thing, and one of the reasons why I did want to put this story in the book, is he has since passed away. So he is oh. not mm. he was unable to see the finished product. Uh, but I think he would have enjoyed it. And okay. and that's the thing is I do think that there is enough folks out there that appreciate and again, this is what I've learned from the Robot Galaxy series is there is enough of an audience out there that is happy to read sci fi written for adults. But that is safe for kids, mm-hmm. but it's really written for mm-hmm. adults. But doesn't have uh, you know any of that stuff. Uh, that is a little different and interesting, and not the same old military battles or you know like because right. right. So uh, there's enough. So while I'm not, I don't necessarily have a picture. I guess my picture now are the the folks that I know who are reading my books, and I have through my newsletter. I've met several people who've now been beta readers and arc readers. And if I'm writing for anyone, I am, I'm writing for them because I know they enjoy what I'm putting out there. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I have them in mind at this point.
0: Yeah. And if they enjoy it, probably.
2: There will probably be others,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking about that, the four robot
1: galaxy books they have sold, did you have an expectation of what you were hoping they were going to, you know, how many units were going to sell, how many books were going to go out the door? has it met that are you hoping for it didn't exceed it and you wish it was more, or are you satisfied with that? You're getting the the story out to the people.
2: So I didn't really have an, an expectation other than, you know, the hope that I make back the money that I put into it, you know, because there's costs associated with the cover
0: with mm-hmm. editing
2: and such like that. And, you know, but so beyond that, my general hope is in any given calendar year, I do better than the year before. Okay. And so far, so good.
1: Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Because that keeps you inspired (laughs) to continue on knowing that Mm -hmm. I'm doing this, you know, yeah, I'm not, you know, I don't at this point think like I'm going to get, like we said, you're not going to get rich. You're not going to give up your day job. But Mm. you are feeling that you're reaching an audience of readers that are enjoying it. And that inspires you to continue on. Because again, like you said, there's, there's another four books you'd like to do about the robot galaxy, and you wouldn't want to do that unless you felt like, you know, This is, it's going to get, the people are going to want to keep read the stories more.
2: Right. Now, also part of that is, you know, and it isn't, I don't want anyone to have this thought that, oh, you can just put books out there and magic happens. Um, So there is a lot of advertising and marketing that is part of the business of being an indie publisher. Mm -hmm. And there is something to be said, especially for indie publishers to be said for writing series, not standalones. Um, People want to read series. And I I found, you know, there's, A lot of you go on to like, say, any forum, you know, that's for writers and everything. And you'll find like, oh, you have to do this. You have to do this. But there's there's very little have tos. A lot is, you know, you know, you got to learn what's working for you. It depends Mm -hmm. on the genre you're in. And a lot of those forums are multi-genre. So what applies to a romance writer does not apply to a science fiction writer and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Uh, But one thing that I think seems to be true in all fiction right now is series is the the way to go, is that okay. when when readers find an author they like, they want to read more from that author, and especially if there's a universe they like,
3: mm-hmm. they
2: really want to write more. Now, yeah. that's not what, you know, I really thought that the Robot Galaxy series was going to be four books and then done. It was somewhere in the middle of that last book that I was like, wait a second, I like write, writing in this universe, so I, I'm not done. <laughs> you know, it was more that, because I do have ideas for other series. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. Um, but th- I think there is something to that whole plan for series.
3: Now, mm-hmm. I yeah. still,
2: that said, yes, Lunar Logic is still intended to be a standalone. The only the reason I kind of like almost think that maybe maybe I'll write a second is because some of the feedback I got um, from some of my early reviewers was the question like, hey, a prequel would be very interesting. Or, you know, not necessarily what happens next, mm. but what happened back them to get to this situation mm-hmm. might be interesting mm-hmm. and so i won't i'll never say you know never say never so who knows but i have so many other things i want to write to include all this stuff in the robot galaxy series but that well, that's, the one thing,
1: mm-hmm.
2: well, that's, that's the on one that, thing yeah i'm
1: gonna say i'm sorry i was say you did touch on that in the books you do get some background information about ruby mm-hmm. but yeah. there's still a whole lot more about her and her mom and a relationship oh, yeah. and, and, yep. and her uncles and her grandma. And yeah, you could just build the whole, cause now we know who she is,
3: mm-hmm.
1: but not the whole backstory. And that would yeah. be interesting to, to read about as well. So yeah, you do have
0: a lot to work with yep. from these yep. four books to go forward. Uh, Dina, have you ever considered writing outside science fiction? In other genres, or is science fiction just where your heart is, where you, where your passion is, where you think your, your niche is?
2: So the other book that will not see the light of day.
0: <laughs> 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 uh,
2: although I think I want to turn it into a science fiction book. Um, yeah, I wrote this book.
0: Mm. I think you just answered my question. Yeah, Thank you yeah. very much.
2: <laughs> uh, well, but the thing is, is, you know, Asimov had, I have this one book of short stories of Asimov. So I have a lot of Asimov books. Okay. Mm. A lot of his books. And I'm still trying to click more. <laughs> but one particular one is a compilation of his short science fiction stories that are also mysteries. And in the mm. intro to that book, he kind of goes on a little like tirade about how, look, just... Like science fiction is just the backdrop. This is a these are mysteries that happen mm-hmm. to be in a science fiction setting.
0: Mm-hmm. And, oh, interesting. Okay. And
2: I I love that, and I think that that is true of a lot of science fiction that they they can be something, they can be a romance, but mm-hmm. science fiction. They can be a mystery, but science fiction. They can mm-hmm. you know be anything but science fiction. Oh yeah. So with that in mind, then I think your answer to your question, Brian, would be yes.
1: No,
4: you would so always have. Like mm-hmm. a science fiction element.
2: Yeah. But it might I, be a I, different
4: I, yeah. genre. Yeah. So you might yeah. be like a mystery science fictioner.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: No, Asimov's, yeah. one of my favorite books by Asimov, I believe was called The Caves of Steel.
2: Oh, that's a good one. Yes.
1: Yeah. And yes. We're, it's a detective story. A crime mm-hmm. is a committed. And his main character mm-hmm. is the detective who has to to find out what happened. I It's been, mm-hmm. I, again, read that book 50 Years ago, so but it's still <laughs> always in the back of my mind. And then he had yep. another one, I think, called The Naked Son, which was also yep. the same character. I, I remember the names because they were so good. And they were like, wow, you can have a detective story and it can be a science fiction story. Mm-hmm so okay so maybe you should go with the hallmark well, love story but it's a science fiction one that think?
2: one that will not see the not not the the one that i kind of alluded to a second ago that is definitely not in the genre that i wrote um i've had thoughts on and off over the years of what if i just recast it in a science fiction setting mm. would that make it and and the thing is part of it is even though it is a novel length and it's one of the first novel length things i ever wrote what it really I I set out to do was write a series of short related short stories, mm-hmm. you know, kind of vignettes in the life of this person. Um, mm. but then I uh, put them together as a novel. I don't know. Just still, it's just not. I don't know.
4: I'm so curious now. It sounds <laughs> like something you should revisit. No, like I don't know. Just maybe for the next, maybe next November. Can
0: we try that? no I, <laughs> I I
2: already have plans for next nano oh,
0: oh okay, okay. okay. Well,
2: already have a, i don't want to say well, i got it
0: i gotta say too as a songwriter myself um i almost never throw away lyrics even if i think they're total garbage mm-hmm. after i they first get written down and they never get added oftentimes when i'm just not feeling the creative juices flowing, Mm -hmm. I will go back over my notes. I've got a folder at the very bottom shelf of my bookshelf. That's got all my songs, uh, most of them. And sometimes I'll go back and it will help me push through. I'll find a phrase. I'll find Mm us a line or even a chord structure that I did that didn't work back there but might help me get through, push through. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me, Adina, that even this story that you're like, I don't know if it'd ever see the light of day again, you know, um, that you're still apparently open to it might be there might be a different way to get mm-hmm. it out, you yeah. know. Um and I think that's important for writers to hear. And anybody creative is sometimes it doesn't fit. What you just created doesn't fit right here. But hang on to it. Put yeah. it in a drawer somewhere or mm-hmm. whatever, you know? Cause it was creative and it came out of you. Mm-hmm. It might work in another setting. It might yep. work to help you finish another project down the road. Yep. Yeah. And there, I are, find there it. are a lot of oh yeah.
2: I was gonna say there are a lot of, you know, people out there who they think they want to write, but they, they are afraid of whatever they put down being crud or or crap or something like that. And that's one of the biggest hurdles I think anyone who writes needs to really get over. Is that yeah, you might write some stuff that is terrible and might need to go sit in a drawer. Maybe it sees the light of day under some other circumstance, yeah. or maybe not. But if you don't ever just get that out, you're never gonna like you're never gonna write.
0: And I don't know if you've had you've probably had this experience, Sadina, as I have, even with the book that Steve has mentioned that I've written. I have had a few people say Eh, you know, I could tell they weren't into it, mm-hmm. uh, even a couple harsher things, you know, but then I'll have people say, oh, my God, I love your characters. I love the whole premise. Mm-hmm. I love your writing style. I love I want you to. I just had a gal t- message me and say, I just got done writing it. I couldn't put it down. You have to write a follow up book mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. So how do you as a writer, as an artist? Just process that where you might have someone say and, and oftentimes just people we were connected with because mm-hmm. those are the people that are getting the books first Were you know, mm-hmm. um, that say, you know, obviously they didn't like it and maybe they're harsh about it. Maybe they're really polite, but you're you can tell they weren't that interested. Mm-hmm. And then you have people that are just like diehard hard adina fans that just you know just say, oh my gosh please keep writing i want the next one when's the next one coming please tell me when the next one's coming how do you process that and kind of handle that up and down of that
2: yeah so there are there's a couple couple things so one um of course not everyone is going to love everything you write okay Mm -hmm. that that's just just a that's just a fact of life and that that's Mm -hmm. that's fine but now when you're now, if you're seeking feedback, like if it's in an early stage or seeking feedback, right? You know, one of the things I think it's important to do is cultivate, kind of like a, a call. I'll say use a modern, you know, say a team, but cultivate people that you know can do a combination of provide honest feedback, who might be um, part of the genre or or such. So, so for example, if I ask my mother to read my work and comment on it. She would, she she would absolutely do it, but she's not a science fiction. She's really not so deep enough in the genre that she might like not get it. So what I need Mm -hmm. is I need people who are, who know the genre, but also know how to provide feedback. And so depending on the stage of the writing it's in. um, So one of the things that I've been doing for years is I'm part of a writer's group. Uh, We're called the Frederick writer salon. And one of the things yeah, I love <laughs> that is part of that, that group is, you know, at this point, uh, a lot of the members have been doing it long enough that we know how to receive and provide feedback. And a lot of it is more in those like kind of early, early stages. And and I think it's important to kind of find that right group of people. Um, and whether it's like a, a local group, um, there's critters.org. Which is an online kind of critique sharing thing for people in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. There's a couple of Facebook groups for that kind of thing. Um, I don't randomly like say ask my friends unless I happen to know their reading style and their ability to pr- provide feedback. So there's like one or two of my friends in in real life that I would ask for because I'm attuned to what I know what they like kind of know. But um I wouldn't just randomly ask anyone else now later on in stages like so when the book is coming out uh and so we look for arc reviews which are the advanced reviews and right now if you go on to goodreads there's some advanced reviews of lunar logic that i do through my newsletter and again i don't automatically accept anyone who wants to be an arc reviewer um partly because and when i when i am looking for arc reviewers If I don't already know who they are through the, you know, for some people we've been through this process, they've ARC reviewed several of my things, Mm. but if they're new to me, uh, one of the questions I ask them is like, well, what are your favorite science fiction writers and, or not, you know, who do you like and who do you don't like? Because if you tell me that like you hate John Scalzi and love, um, I'm trying to think someone who's the opposite of whoever's the opposite of John Scalzi, then you might not like my thing and I might not want you to review Mm -hmm. my thing, you know? So it's all about that. Now, then to the last stage where the book is out, and now there's a pile of reviews on Amazon, I just don't read those because there's going to be some ones there that would might, you know, be upsetting. So what I do there is, um, actually, I ignore them, really, but uh, sometimes I have my husband read through them, and I ask Ooh, okay. him to tell me, uh, uh, what is there anything there in those, like, say, mid-star reviews, like two or three-star reviews? that's actionable Mm
3: -hmm.
2: like that i could actually do something about in a future book or or take with me for you know like is there anything actionable there don't tell me anything else except for the actionable things you know and then so then i don't you know worry about that and usually like email i get from from readers and stuff on my newsletter those people who are willing to email me like my book Mm -hmm. (laughs) because most people aren't gonna send you an email if like they don't um Except for one who did not like that I have, you know, LGBTQ representation oh, in my books. Oh, you mentioned that one. Yes, I had that's that brutal. one day. Well, it, yeah, it was uh, unexpected. I guess is the the word I'll say for that. I was not expecting that. Um, but yeah, um, I think I think I answered the question. I know mm-hmm. I sometimes go off a little bit, but
1: that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: not good at giving short answers.
1: That that's you know what that's what we were hoping for long answers because we get to learn more about you from long answers as opposed to yes no maybe so we that's that's what we were looking for and I think that's what we hope from all of the people yeah. we well, interview as well. What I, I really
2: hope is that anyone out there who's listening who might be thinking about writing hopefully they're getting some ideas and some motivation
3: yeah.
2: and some you know what they need to do if they're well, thinking about writing of- just write.
0: Speaking of ideas and motivation, where can people find Lunar Logic and the Robot Galaxy series? Gosh, everywhere. What's the best way to get a hold?
2: Yeah. So depending on your if you're an Amazon, if you're someone who's likes Amazon and buys things on Amazon, go to Amazon. Crazy Foolish, mm-hmm. just type in Crazy Foolish Robots or Lunar Logic. You'll find them there. Um you'll see on Goodreads. You can, you know, you don't buy through Goodreads, but you can see reviews and such there too. There is my own store. I have my own. If you want to, if you're a person who likes to do buy direct from the author, then you can go to crazyrobot.myshopify.com and you can get autographed copies from me there. Uh, And I
0: didn't know that. Over
2: the next month, you'll be able to get all the digital ones. So the Robot Galaxy series is slash was in the Kindle Unlimited program, but I'm pulling it out to to use another indie author term, to go wide, meaning they're going to be widely available beyond Mm -hmm. Amazon.
0: Very good. Interesting. Well,
1: um, any other final questions for Adina? I mean, we're talking to our friend. We're talking to someone. And
2: and we've learned so much about
1: you that even after the last two years of doing these podcasts, with us all we're still learning about each other and that's that's the great part of this is we're still learning more about each other and that's wonderful the, so
2: the one thing that people probably you know they they might be able to guess this about me but i don't think they anyone really knows um my husband and my my older son might know but i'm not even sure they really really know is how much of my brain on a day-to-day basis on an hour to hour on a minute am i actually thinking about writing? Whether it's thinking about a current book, thinking about a future book, thinking about a story, thinking about a character, thinking about writing, I am almost always, and I have been for years and years and years and years and years and years, like pretty much I think my entire adult life, I am always thinking about writing.
4: Oh, that's good.
0: That's the case. Yeah, it's called I Was Born for This. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Or I'm just obsessed. Yes.
0: But I think too. you're more for it. Right? Yeah. I mean,
3: so.
2: <laughs> which uh, you know, there's one ah uh, an online guy that I follow that that's one of his things, actually he he says, you know, in order to really be good at something, you really have to develop a kind of like an obsessive mentality mm-hmm. about it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I get that. I feel that. I think I'm right there.
1: <laughs> it allows you to wake up at five o'clock in the morning or before five yeah. o'clock in the morning, go to your word processor, go to your computer, mm-hmm. and start writing because you're not having to build the story there you've already the night before or even woke up in the middle of the night going, Mm -hmm. okay, I got to remember this because I want to write this at five in the morning. And that's Mm -hmm. where you're, you're fresh, you're ready to go. And so that, if that works for you, that's great. And uh, yeah,
2: so far, so good.
1: All right. Any other questions, folks? So shall we uh we'll wrap up with this interview? I just
0: I, I don't have a question, but I wanna give a shout out, Steve, to our listeners in Japan who have over the last few oh. weeks kept us in the top twenty. We've reached as high as number seven in the science fiction podcast genre there in Japan. So we appreciate you guys love the love you're showing us by listening whoever you are however many you are even if you're just one person listening and listening and listening so much to get us the rankings we appreciate it so much and uh just thank you very much i think that's the i think that's the greatest compliment we can give our we get is that we
1: have an internet we've now got an international audience we're in the netherlands we're in germany we're we're being we're we're being found places where I never thought we would go. And this is great. And so thank you. Well, if that is it, then there you have it. Adina in a nutshell. (laughs) We've learned so much about her and I know you have done so as well. If you have any questions you'd like to pose to Adina, again, you can send them to our email address. As I mentioned earlier, the big sci-fi podcast at gmail.com, or you can, Post them on Facebook or Instagram. Or you can subscribe to her newsletter. And I hope I'm giving this out correctly. Info at adinamignona.com. Is that correct?
2: That's the email address. But go okay. to the my newsletter is now on Substack. So it's okay. beyondthedroid.substack.com.
1: the Be, Beyond, Beyond the th- droid th- substack.com. Mm-hmm. Dot com okay and we'll have all
0: those in our uh, podcast notes too perfect so that way definitely.
1: people can subscribe learn more about your books your writing your musings, your interesting way of telling the world a little bit about yourself above all as we spoke earlier go to amazon if that's your purchasing site of choice and buy those books i did that you should do it as well finally we look forward to meeting each and every one of you at trek long island it's happening this year from may the 31st to june the 2nd we'll be there so Mm -hmm. will many of the people we have interviewed in this past two years on the big sci-fi podcast wow i still it still boggles my mind
4: yeah it's crazy
1: so um go to their website And learn more about this upcoming event. It looks to be even more spectacular than the prior one. And as always, I leave you with these parting words Look to the skies, live long, and prosper.